In this episode, we talk to Brandon Amoroso, founder and president at Electric, a drinks company. We start with their recent acquisition by drinks.com and their massive plans to build on top of their proprietary shipping and fulfillment platform to offer wineries the ability to sell throughout the United States. With all the complications surrounding shipping across state and county lines, Brandon's team is uniquely positioned to build, support, and scale the direct-to-consumer arm of wineries across the country. We also talk through a new style of loyalty program based on value rather than points. Oftentimes, basic loyalty programs provide 10, 100, or 1,000 points with no clear understanding of what those points get you. Instead, Brandon proposes loyalty programs should offer tiered discounts, free products, sample products, or other additional value based on each shipment with straightforward communication on when and what subscribers can expect to receive. So let's hop in. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Super excited to, to join you for the first time. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about Electric. Yeah, so we're a 45-person Shopify agency specifically focused on retention marketing. So our biggest service offerings are web design and development and email and SMS marketing. But more holistically, we're, we're Shopify experts that know how to enable our merchants on the best-in-class Shopify tech stack in order to create these personalized customer experiences that improve retention and increase LTV. So Recharge, there's about 12 others. That's really our core offering there. And merchants come to us because we understand how to enable, enable that. We'll definitely put a plug here in the end for all the listeners, but definitely check out Brandon's Twitter and LinkedIn. There's tons and tons of good content. You put out content multiple times a week, I believe. It's all really, really good. Some long form, some short form stuff. Um, definitely check that out and follow him there. Um, so as I understand, you were just acquired by Drinks. Talk us through that experience and, and what that means for your future. Yeah, so about six weeks ago now, we were acquired by uh, Drinks.com. They are uh, one of the leaders in the beverage alcohol space. Um, and we have actually been working with them. I've been working with them since high school. I had like an internship sophomore year of high school as their, this is the standard social media intern um, because they own and operate their own direct-to-consumer brand called Wine Insiders. So that's how it started back in 2014. In 2018, they took the tax and compliance engine that they built for their own direct-to-consumer brand because in the U.S., the alcohol industry is very complex and nuanced on a state-by-state -state basis, even going into specific like local county regulations for what is legally allowed to be shipped and not. You have crazy things like even volume limits. If you live in a certain area, you can't order more than 5,000 milliliters of wine to your house in a quarter, stuff like that. So all that had to be built in-house to power their direct-to-consumer brand. In 2018, they took that same technology and started offering it to uh, Fortune 20 and Fortune 500 retailers. So they power uh, Sam's Club direct-to-consumer wine program. They power Instacarts. They power Misfits Market. They power Thrive Market, uh, Macy's Wine Shop, Martha Stewart Wine. A bunch of um, some of the larger names in the space that didn't necessarily have access to be able to ship direct-to-consumer uh, wine before. Now, sort of the third iteration of this technology is... Everything I just mentioned was very much so one-to-one, -one, not one-to-many. With the acquisition of Electric, and the, really the main reason for it is we are launching a real-time tax and compliance solution for wineries to be able to sell on Shopify. So we've taken 
that same tax and compliance engine that was historically powering retailers or non-licensed brands made some minor tweaks and customizations to now be able to support what is about over 11,000 wineries in the U.S. Um, and they needed electric for our Shopify expertise, for our ability to be able to migrate all these merchants over from their tech stacks onto Shopify. But even more importantly, showcase to them all of the platform benefits of Shopify and now what they're going to be able to do from a marketing and storytelling perspective that historically they haven't been able to because this is an industry that has been extremely underserved from a technology standpoint. You have second and third tier providers who have gone out and tried to build like Shopify for wine as opposed to building on top of Shopify for wineries, which if you build in a silo, like nobody is, there's no, there's no Clavio, there's no recharge, there's no rebuy in the ecosystems that the wineries currently have to work and operate in. So by allowing them to come over to what I think is the world's best e-commerce platform, it really is like a watershed moment for the industry. Um, and I'm super excited to help spearhead that initiative forward. I don't have anything else to say. That's it for the episode. Cool. Thanks, guys. It <laughs> <laughs> also is just... Super, super cool. That, that really is awesome. There's going to be a ton of new opportunity here. Um, I'm really excited to see kind of what comes of this. I'm sure there's going to be lots of iterations from the first brands who are launching until, you know, 10, 15, 20, and all the hundreds yeah. that are going to be launching. Um, but but what, is, what does this mean for, for all these brands? Is this just kind of like a turnkey thing now that if you sell wine, if you're a winery, you can now kind of start a wine club, start selling wine direct to consumer? Exactly. So it's very, very straightforward. Um, all you really have to do is upload your license information and your SKUs from the Shopify site, give some few basic details, and then you're off and running with the real-time taxing compliance. So your store will not take any orders that are not compliant. Right now, the solutions on Shopify are post-order. And so what I mean by that is like all orders will go through, but there are tools that will tell the wineries after the fact, like, hey, this order is in fact not compliant but then it's on the winery to take action on that. Um, so it's a headache. And most, most wineries don't even take action on it. They just go ahead and ship it out. Um, so what we're really doing is, is taking away all of the headache that has been involved in this process to this point. And you've, you see most of the larger wineries, they want to be on Shopify, but they just haven't been able to come over because they can't deal with the same sort of gray areas that some of the smaller players might be able to uh, accept that risk. So it's going to accelerate basically the, the digital innovation that all these winers are going to be able to do pretty substantially. And from all the talks I've had with wineries, they're already sold on Shopify. Like they understand. And I was honestly a little bit surprised how much they knew about the platform. And a few of them have even just made the leap as it is. And they just figured out like some kludgy workaround solution through like Shopify flow or something to try and make it work. Um, so the demand is there for sure. And uh, it's, it's very much so plug and play for them. So what we're going to see is a lot more direct to consumer wineries popping up here and there, a lot more yes. wine being shipped across the U S and uh, to most of our listeners, that means a lot more uh, easier access to wine. And the first wineries that, that take advantage of this and truly invest into understanding what this newfound customer relationship can mean for them are the ones that are going to be able to stand out in the market because it's not like this is displacing your traditional retail channels whatsoever. Totally. If anything, it's making them more powerful and you can test products into markets now. Like let's say I want to test a, 
new kind of rosé for an, a terrible example, but a new kind of rosé in like a can or something because there's not enough rosé in a can. Um, <laughs> then you could do that. And then you could, let's say you got 500 orders in two weeks in this particular region. Then you go to your distributor and armed with that data and be like, listen, like the demand is already here. We've proven it out online. Now go ahead and carry that product. And you also have so much more customer data. I mean, when you're selling through retail, you don't get to see any of that. And so this is really going to be able to allow them to create those customer relationships. Like so many of them have big tasting room businesses and you go to the tasting room, you purchase, but then that's sort of it because you're not set up with an integrated solution where your tasting room and your e-commerce presence are connected. And so as opposed to having a 30 year relationship with this customer, because they just flew into California, they came to your tasting room, they loved it, they bought six bottles, now they disappear. Now you'll be able to take that data and start to market to them via email, SMS, push, everything that goes into that and actually create a real relationship with the customer. So you totally beat me to the punchline, but that's exactly where I was trying to go, which is everything we talk about in this space, you know, from you to me to you know, everybody across the industry is all talking direct to consumer stuff is how do we get more data on the customer? How do you provide a better customer experience? And exactly what you just said, if you take context of a winery, the only customer experience is you walk through the door, you buy wine, you leave because you can't ship it anywhere else or very rarely you can find some of the ships at else. So, so it's an awesome innovation. I think this is going to, going to change a lot of things. Do, do wineries understand direct to consumer terms? Do they understand what they're looking at here? Or is this just kind of, you know, a, a total dip in the deep end and trying to figure this out on the fly? Absolutely. I mean, they, there are a lot of wineries that already have a direct to consumer presence and they know they have, I mean, talking through a, with a lot of them, they have really amazing ideas and things that they've tried to bring to fruition with their current programs. But they just can't, they can't do it. Everything is custom and it's not like they have 10 developers sitting. I mean, like they're a winery and right. they are very good at making wine and doing that. Just like if you're a brand, you're really good at making the product doesn't necessarily mean you're good at Shopify either or e-commerce in general. So the, I think the adoption is going to be very quick because there's a lot of really smart people in the wine industry who have already been pushing on this and they're, they've just been running into wall after wall with the current platform limitations that they have. I know you've built a lot of onboarding quizzes, uh, pre-subscription, you know, getting customers to, to give you their zero party data and have them understand kind of what they're actually looking for. So you can provide a recommendation for a product. That mm. seems like it's a perfect use case for, for a direct consumer winery. Is that something that you're looking into as well? How you kind of build that, build that data inflow platform? Absolutely. So part of what I'm focused on is, I mean, obviously table stakes is like getting them over to Shopify and right. getting them on to the drinks app. <laughs> um, second to that is I basically put together our 15 tools that are, that's our recommendation for every winery to get enabled with, and then providing them with very specific use cases of why they should be and how they can use it to improve that customer experience and increase the lifetime value of, of their customers. So like on the quiz front, for example, Octane is the one that we use to build it for all of our current clients. And so we're going to put together like elect the electric uh, agency armor drinks is going to put together examples for these wineries of like, Hey, this is what a winery quiz could look like. And then here's how you could use it in Clavio in your post-purchase follow-up emails. And this is how you can use it for segmentation. And this is why it matters because 
almost none of them are familiar with the inner workings of Shopify itself. So I think it would be, we'd be short selling them if we didn't provide that. Like if we just gave them Shopify and the drinks app and didn't give them the roadmap for what truly extending their marketing program could look like. And so that's what I'm really excited about because every winery has such a unique story or history or background to it. Like just because you're ending up with red, white, or rosé in the bottle, each one had some different nuance or process to get into it. Like how was it aged? What, what sort of oak did it use? What's the vineyard? What's the terroir? All these different things go into it. And that storytelling aspect is something that I think is missing from their digital presence as well. Rapid fire, run through a handful of those apps that you are suggesting, um, just so we can kind of get an overview of, of what the tech stack looks like. Yeah. So um, I'm going to be publishing this as well too on, on my LinkedIn. So I'll plug that again for you. But the ones that we're primarily working with are Recharge, Clavio, Rebuy, uh, Octane, Akendo, Gorgeous, uh, Enquirer Labs. Uh, Lifetimely is one that I'm actually really excited to dig into with the wineries because they don't have access to, uh, to tools like Lifetimely that can show them things like their repurchase frequency or show them the product discovery journey. Like if you buy X product first and you come back to your second order, 33% of people are buying this. Um, like tap card, if they want to use or build an iOS app, for example. Um, that's just a, a few of them. I think there's about four or five other ones. Inveterate is the one that we're starting to explore, which is really interesting because it's memberships. And memberships is something that wineries are very familiar with. And there's so much cool like content and behind the scenes education and VIP stuff you can do behind a gated membership. So it's it's a fun process because I'm working with each of these apps on like this is what we've been doing with the other like 45 merchants that we work with on Shopify. Um, none of them are wineries though. So it's like brainstorming with all these apps. How does your tool and solution make sense and how can it be applied for a winery, which has similarities to your traditional like direct to consumer brands, but also has some differences as well. You brought up memberships. Uh, that's something you and I have talked about off the air um, and just kind of, you know, talking with each other but I know it's something both of us are really high on and really excited about for the future of e-commerce. How does, how do memberships play a role in this kind of new wine world? Um, is it still kind of your classic wine membership where, you know, you pay certain dollars a month and you get discounts or whatever it is, or is this still something you're pitching that's fully customizable and fully, you know, you can build it however you want. Yeah. I think that's like table stakes, something you could, you could easily get up and running. Um, you sign up for the membership, maybe you get free shipping and maybe you get a percentage off of all the products on the website and you could have various tiers as well, where I think it could get really interesting is, okay, maybe the next tier membership, let's say it's like bronze, gold, and platinum with gold. You get once a month, there's a, like a chef virtual tasting with the wines and you get it shipped out to you. And then maybe like in the platinum once a year, you get two nights at the estate for you to come stay with like a friend there's a lot of really cool and unique things that you could do because it's a winery and because it's so experiential and i don't think it has to be limited to just to just digital because um, so much of these wineries business does come through tourism and through the tasting rooms and so how can we take that membership program and drive more uh, i'm going to call it in-store traffic though it's not a store but drive more in-store traffic because those like physical touch points in person those can't be replicated online. 
Like, right. I know there's so many things we do with like virtual tastings and live shopping and this and that, but it's just not the same to be there, especially like in the vineyard with the tactile feel of the, the vines and the grapes and the whole thing going on. So I don't have any data around this, but I could almost guarantee you that anybody who goes and visits the winery is going to end up having like a higher LTV with that wine um, company than somebody who doesn't. I, I would totally agree. And LTV is kind of where I was going next. Um, let's, let's take kind of a little bit of a step backwards here. I know we're talking a lot about wine, um, for, for brands who, you know, obviously most of our, our audience here is not wine based because historically this hasn't existed. So how does all of this kind of stuff still play into the general e-commerce brand? Um, you know, the general direct to consumer brand, you should still be looking at building out an appropriate tech stack. You should still be looking at lifetime value as kind of a gold standard metric. Um, any kind of parallels you want to draw or, or kind of just kind of take a bigger step back away from wine for a second? Yeah. I mean, for us, like we're still supporting all non-wine merchants. We're still onboarding that new non-wine merchants. Um, and I think it's really important for us to do so, so that we can continue to be the Shopify experts around these best in class tools. Um, I think there's like different applications that you can take from this specifically around like membership and loyalty as well as taking your online store data, especially with everything opening back up again and using that to create authentic, like in-person moments via pop-up shops or uh, building like in-person community that is really valuable. And the the pop-up shop thing is something I'm really high on because let's say you're a direct consumer brand and you know, you have 5,000 customers in LA, then go have a pop-up shop in LA. I mean, you have the full data, the database in Plavio, send out an email month before, get your RSVPs. And then not only are you going to be selling product while you're there, all these people are going to be meeting one another and creating connections around that brand. And then you have enough content from that event for the next like five years, probably if you, if you take like video and, and, and photo content. So that's something I'm really excited about for brands to start exploring more and more especially if you have a celebrity brand, which we do work with a few of them and is something I've been pushing on more and more like, Hey, let's get, let's get a pop event going here. And because that is something that you get earned, earned media as well. Um, so I'm really, I'm really high on that one. I couldn't agree more. Something we talk a lot about internally here at recharge, um, is kind of the, the key to remote is in person, which is counterintuitive you would think, but you know, being remote is so awesome. There's a lot of benefits there, but exactly what you're talking about, these pop-up shops, bringing people together, you know, the, the benefit of having an online community is that when you meet up in person, that community is even stronger. Um, and that should be the ultimate goal of, of trying to get everybody together in the same place. So totally agree with you. I think coffee is an awesome example. Um, bring a bunch of people to the same city. You obviously, like you were talking about earlier, it's not really brick and mortar. It's not really a store because it's a pop-up shop, obviously, but increases LTV. Um, everybody can try new things. You meet new people. Um, hearing about, you know, what is it pour over method? Is it cold brew? Whatever it is. Um, so many opportunities for in-person events and things like that to blend your direct-to-consumer uh, with some sort of membership model and do something in person. Especially if you align with another brand that maybe is a complementary product to yours. Like Partnerships, maybe- Absolutely. Maybe you sell coffee beans, but then you work with a coffee appliances company and the two of you combine forces and create an even bigger event and building some exclusivity around it. I mean, you see it on Instagram and TikTok all the time. Like people love pop-ups and they love to have to go to something that like maybe you even have to buy a ticket for and it's exclusive. Um, so I think the brands that start doing that this year and next are going to be really well positioned. 
there's a billion and a half milk brands. There's a lot of sweetener brands, organic, all those kind of things bring together, yeah. you know, coffee, milk, and sweeteners. You have an all day coffee party and it's going to caffeine's going to keep you running. <laughs> um, one of the other things you brought up is loyalty. Um, so kind of changing gears. I wanted to get into this a little bit. Um, we talked about on our charge X podcast when we were out there in Santa Monica, um, about your kind of new idea of loyalty and some of the things you're building out for some of your brands. Talk us through this kind of outdated idea of loyalty points and loyalty reward system, and then kind of what you are trying to move towards. Yeah. So I think the issue of loyalty for me, um, there's a couple, one of the main ones is that I'd basically say 40 to 50% of the Shopify stores I go on to now, they've got some widget in the bottom left corner or right corner, and there's some sort of points program, but there's no real explanation behind it. I can't tell like, is a thousand points worth a dollar or is it worth a thousand dollars? And it differs from store to store as well. And there's no real like communication or thought process behind it. It's sort of just like slapped on the site. And for some reason, one way or another, it, it, the, there was a misconception that doing that was going to actually drive uh, LTV growth, um, which is just not what we've seen. Typically, we see about 1% to 2% adoption rates on our e-commerce stores that do have those loyalty programs. Now, if you have the team to actually build out and flesh out something like a Sephora whose points program absolutely crushes it, by all means, I think that makes a lot of sense. Where, where it doesn't is when you don't have, and the same goes for memberships too. If you don't have the ability to create like the content and experience behind it to make it worthwhile, then maybe don't. And so what we've been doing instead is just creating these automated solutions via like Shopify Flow and Clavio that is all surprise and delight. And as a customer, we're totally taking away any action from your end. Like with loyalty points programs, it's always on the customer, whether you're a one-shot customer or a subscription customer, you have to take the action to figure out, okay, these points, what can I go redeem them for? And it's even worse in my opinion for subscription, because if I'm on a subscription, I don't want to deal with it. Like I just want it to keep coming. That's kind so of the point I, of the subscription in the first place. You don't want to have to right. manually apply the loyalty points that defeats it. Yeah. So if I have the points, I got to go into the, get the points, got to go into my dashboard, make sure I make it in time before like the next ship date to apply it. So I think it's, I think it's really broken on the subscription side. So what we've been doing is just automating it and communicating it from pre-purchase all the way through each order, like what happens next. So there's like a landing page that shows you, okay, your first 12 orders or based off of your spend threshold, this is what tier you're in. This is what you're going to get. So like maybe order number one is something order number three is another um like gift or some sort of a discount there's different ways that you can structure it for our sites that are like single skew hero products that are subscribable what we'll do is just first order you get like a free gift third order it automatically becomes five dollars less sixth order you get like a full like merchant swag box 12th order completely free and all this is communicated at Every transactional touch point based off of the order that it is communicated on that landing page before you go ahead and make that purchase all the way through getting to that, to that 12th order. Um, for stores that are not single SKU like hero products, what we'll typically do is the thresholds. So if you're under $250, it's this, if you're in between 250 and 500, it's this, if it's 501 to a thousand, it's this instead. So it's kind of like, Honestly, the more I thought about it and I was using Uber Eats the other day, it's a little bit like that where I don't have to do anything. 
it just happens automatically. Like now I'm gold, now I'm platinum, now I'm diamond or whatever it is. And they're just rewarding me for taking the actions that they want on, on their platform, which is to ride more or to eat more. Um, and so for us, we're just trying to make it as seamless as possible for customers to, to purchase and to be rewarded for doing so. If you're diamond on Uber Eats, you're ordering a lot of food. So I'll let you, uh, <laughs> you could take that crown there. That's a different story though. Um, but, but going back to what you originally- What's your Uber rating? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going back to, to what you were originally talking about, which is kind of being a, a retention first agency, is that I think retention starts earlier than everyone thinks. And you would even argue that retention starts before you even purchase. But this is a great idea for how to kind of increase retention is have a clear statement, use those transactional touch points, but be very open and very honest about, you know, here's what you can expect. Order one, you're doing this. Order two, you're doing this. Order 12, it's free, you know, whatever it ends up being. Um, and it's it's something that people look forward to as opposed to like, oh, cool, now I have 100 points. And then like you said, is 100 points, does that get me something free? Does that get me, you know, $2 off? Is this worth it? Make it very clear, make it very straightforward and make sure you're communicating that as well. The communication part's massive. Yeah, and historically, it's always like the first order is where you get everything super right. discounted, super this, super that. And then all of a sudden your second order is like a completely different experience. You're paying full price and you've already been forgotten about by the brand because they have no differentiated experience for anything that happens after the first order. Whereas this is sort of flipping it around. You're getting higher quality customers because you're not like discounting the hell out of your first order. And you're letting them know like, Hey, keep purchasing with us and we are going to reward you for it. And maybe discounts come at order number six, but that's when dis discounts make sense. Not 99% off the first product. And then, oh my goodness, now it's the full price like that. That just doesn't, that just doesn't work. It's actually one of the biggest complaints we hear. And one of the biggest questions about, you know, how do I avoid churn and how do I reduce churn rates is that so many people will offer a 20, 30, 40% discount on that first order to get the acquisition in hand and get them in the store. But then option number two is everyone cancels right away because they just want that one time. You take 40% off, which is unheard of, and you walk away. And then the brand ends up losing money because they're paying too much on acquisition. So like right. you said, this, this mitigates that. You do a full price first item or a small discount first item. And by the second, third, fourth shipping time, that's when you start to discount or do free things or whatever it is. And there's a lot more flexibility in there you can play with LTV. Yeah. I mean, for a 40% off welcome pop-up is just, I, I think it's it's doing a disservice to the brand because yeah. even if your product is like really strong and really high quality, if I come in on your store and get 40% off from my first order, I'm, unless it's quite literally life-changing, I am never ordering from you again. Like, why would I, I just got it for 40% off. Um, and so it's completely like psychological the way that you set things up and then I think other, some other brands just need to take a deeper look at like their positioning and how they're doing things. Like 40% off is the easy way out to acquire new customers, but you're going to end up with customer service issues. You're going to end up with retention issues. It's not, it's like a quick temporary fix. It's not a long-term solution. It's more of a flash sale idea for a one-time boost rather than it is a sustainable way to, to grow business. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Let's move into a couple of closing questions. I'm going to throw some random ones at you. What advice would you give to a subscription brand who's just getting off the ground here? Do not do a sampler program. Interesting. That's a good one. I, I've yet to hear a brand that has been happy with their sampler program. I mean, we're guilty of it. We did it probably like two years ago now. Um, it just doesn't really work. You it's get a lot of full-size products. Yeah. I mean, you get a lot of people 
the pro like you get a lot of product into people's hands, but you're underwater immediately because your shipping costs are basically eating away from the entire purchase price that the person is giving you. And, and then more often than not, your targeting isn't as refined because you're going like mass market. And so these people are just there to try something out for a dollar or $5. There's, there's really no, like, I would try a bunch of that stuff. It's just a dollar. It doesn't really matter at that point. Um, so I would think a little bit more about how you get people on your subscription program. What I really believe in is not, I, I don't, not a strong advocate of subscription only websites. I think the best path forward is to get that first order, have a positive customer experience, and then throughout the entire post-purchase flows, both transactional and like your marketing communications, pitch the value of the subscription, get them to make that first order, then get them out of the subscription as, as opposed to see a lot of brands doing first order, super discounted, but you're on a subscription, people are going to cancel. And like we see historically, just because you're being transactional doesn't mean that you're not going to become a subscriber at a later point in time. Interesting. Interesting. I like the point. Great context. Let's flip the script. So let's say for brands who are already starting to scale, subscription brands are already at the 10,000, maybe 100,000 100, subscriber mark. What takes them over the top? What keeps you growing? What keeps you scaling, avoiding plateaus? So keeping your existing customers there is by far the most important because acquisition is getting more and more difficult. And I mean, no matter how many customers you acquire, if you're acquiring 5,000 and you're losing 5,000, then you're basically net zero. So for me, and this is probably a self-serving comment because we focus on retention, but I think you need to get your ducks in a row with retention and make sure that that's as strong of a customer experience as possible. And we've actually been seeing a lot of strong performance out of using um, a tool called Superaffiliate, which is a referral platform, but basically allows uh, customers to create their own microsites that are headless. And so they load extremely quickly. They're very personalized. There's all these like sort of widgets that make it so that let's say I'm buying from um, like a milk website. I can create my own like Brandon's milk store and then I can share it out with all my friends. We've seen a ton of adoption of that on TikTok as well as Instagram from influencers who just like to support the brand. And the best part of that is it automatically integrates into recharge. So as a customer who's referring, like if I referred you, Chase, to a brand, you purchase, I get my $20, that $20 is going to auto apply to my subscription. I don't have to do anything else. There's no points space. We're going to have to go in, figure out how to redeem it. Um, so we've been seeing referral as a strong acquisition tool when historically, when we just sort of threw referral up there on top of a points-based solution, we saw almost nobody use it. Well, it has to be, it's kind of the theme of everything we talk about today is it has to be intentional. You can't just throw up a loyalty program. You can't just throw up a referral program. You can't just hope retention happens. You can't just hope people are going to stick around for the 40% discount. Yeah. People are going to change. People are going to cancel. They're going to move around. So everything you do has to be intentional uh, to make sure that that customer experience works the way it's supposed to. Yeah. And just because we have like those 15 apps doesn't mean that you should be using all 15. Correct. I mean, there's like, there's like three or four that are table stakes, but beyond that, they're, they're nice, to, nice to have if you can properly implement them. But like, there's no chance I'm going to be recommending every winery that we onboard and every net new merchant that we onboard, go download all 15 of these all at once because they're just, just going to sit out there and you're not going to be able to yeah. actually drive ROI with them. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, then I look forward to uh, to seeing Brennan's milk store being live pretty soon. We'll uh, we'll see how that works. <laughs> Final question for you: What physical products do you subscribe to? Ooh, you know, I only subscribe to Nordic Naturals um, fish oil from Amazon, and then also my dog food from or not my dog food, my dog's dog food, I guess. But um, the, I think we got that part. That's yeah, that's clear. <laughs> not over there eating her uh her dog cookies or whatever though they look pretty delicious sometimes um through chewy so my subscribe and save for nordic is on amazon we actually um met at charge x and just kicked off an engagement with them today which is very exciting um it's always cool when i'm already like a consumer of a product and then now we get to work with them um and then uh that's through amazon and then chewy for the for the pet food so funny. I've had a couple of those conversations too, where the conversations are just so more, so much more genuine and honest when you can really understand and be like, Oh, I've gone through your customer flow. I've gone through your checkout. I've seen your portal. Uh, yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thank you. We want to thank Brandon once again for joining us. If you're interested in electric, you can head over to electricmarketing.com.